You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now, we've all been there before, trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the Razor Safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode. I tell you what, it's Friday. Woo! And uh, I'm feeling good, man. I, I went out today, did some scouting, uh, found a couple mushrooms, uh, found a new variety of mushroom that uh, I'm, I've been looking up. It's uh, a gold oyster mushroom, and I'm going to pick up some... Uh, recipes on YouTube and some other places. I did my research. It is edible. Uh, I found some gray morels and uh, I'll make those just a very small amount, only five. Uh, I just don't think the the yellows are up quite yet where I'm at. Uh, it's kind of dry here too. So I feel like we after a good rain, uh, they might pop up. But I'm telling you, I, I had a good day in the outdoors. And uh, I, I want to make... 2021 the year of dan johnson not for everybody but for myself like i i hope i draw this uh and and that's what today's episode is about i'll tell you here in a second but i'm going to south dakota again on mule deer my buddy dan spano from new york he's coming with me um potentially i might be going to uh, missouri uh to hunt uh maybe like a a quick four-day rut hunt right i might be uh where else might i go oh i might draw here's where we're you know we start talking about today's episode i might draw uh, i'll find the out the third week in may uh an elk hunt in wyoming and uh so 
all that, you know, all that planning, all that pe- preparation. And I can remember now it's a little easier. I, I'm starting to understand the strategy behind Western hunting, not the, the actual in the field strategy, but the strategy for leaving the Midwest, leaving the east side of the country, traveling hundreds of miles, uh, maybe even thousands of miles to the west to hunt a new species in an environment that I'm not used to. And uh, I don't know, man, just I'm really trying to uh, uh, really trying to figure this whole Western thing out because in the next, I'm going to say 15 years, I'll give myself till I'm 55. Um, I should still be able to keep up until I'm 55. If I stay at the pace that I'm on now and there's no major incidents with my knees or my, my back or anything like that. But, uh, if I stay healthy, I feel like I, for maybe 15 more years, uh, I should be able to get out there. Now I could go longer than that. I could go shorter than that, but I want to get out and, uh, do these type of Western experiences, uh, elk, mule deer, antelope, maybe even some moose, uh, some caribou up in Canada or Alaska. Those are a couple things that I really like. I got this bucket list here and, uh, I don't know, man, I, I definitely want to accomplish some of those bucket list type hunts. So today from go hunt, we have Dave Barnett and, uh, Dave is kind of a wealth of knowledge from go hunt. I reached out to him, uh, a while ago about, uh, you know, just touch base with him about some unit information in Wyoming for my elk hunt. And he helped me out and, uh, he gave me, you know, he, he gave me some minor advice. And so I wanted him to come on the podcast and talk about this because there's a lot of people out there who they're happy with hunting their whitetail in their state, whatever. But I will tell you this. The West is something completely different. It is amazing. It is eye-opening. It is jaw-dropping. It is beautiful. Uh, the species are different and unique, and they have their own strategy that uh, you have to use to go after them. And I recommend it to everybody, absolutely everybody. Um, and it can feel a bit overwhelming at first, right? We talk about, in this episode, we talk about how you uh, the planning, the preparation, you know, some places, uh, are over the counter. Some places are preference point hunts or draw hunts. Some are lottery hunts. And, uh, we talk about the, the strategy from a planning standpoint about how, you know, if you really wanted to, you could go out and hunt, uh, whatever you wanted to hunt out West every single year, right? Whether it's mule deer, elk, antelope, those are just the three that we kind of focus on, on this episode. I know there's, you know, other crazy species out there that, uh, um, may take a lot more time to get access to, but this is that episode where I, what I want to do is motivate you to start thinking about it anyway, really start thinking about going West and, and doing this because once you get a certain age, you're going to be like, Oh man, I don't think I can do that anymore. And I want everybody to, to try and experience. I can remember my first elk hunt was a disaster. Uh, I was not physically prepared for it. I didn't have the right gear for it, but I left that place wanting more. It was a miserable trip at times, but I left that wanting more and more and more and more and more of it. And to the point where I'm in a position now where I'm going to be going west every single year with proper planning, 
uh, in preparation. And I'm going to try to hunt elk, you know, if not every year, once every other year. I'm going to try to hunt mule deer every year. Uh, I'll throw in an antelope hunt in there as well. And uh, preference points and lottery and over-the-counter tags are all in that strategy. And that's what Dave talks about today. So, I'm not going to talk any more about it. We're just going to get right into the episode after we do a quick commercial here. Wasp and Vortex. Um, Vortex Optics, title sponsor of the podcast. Amazing products. Uh, and it's funny. It's an optics company. And I have my binos and I have my spotter that I use. But one, um, uh, one of the products that I'm actually really looking forward to getting from them is their uh, tripod their spotting scope tripod their binocular tripod it's lightweight uh it's tough it's durable and i want to get that in my pack uh and uh because i have a i have a decent tripod right now but it is from amazon it was like 30 bucks and sand has gotten in it and it's just it was almost like disposable right it's a one-time use type deal uh, from what I look online, this and what they tell me, it's just a badass tripod, and I can't wait to uh, to mess around with it along with some of the other products, new products that they have. Um, I'm not going to get into it, but take a look at Vortex Edge. It is uh, it's uh, some firearm classes that they're going to be uh, training up at their new uh, f- like up at a new part of their facility up in Wisconsin. So take a look at that. Uh, their VIP warranty, right? You buy a you buy a binocular or a spotting scope or whatever from them. You damage it. You send it to them. They fix it for free and send it back to you, right? Not a lot of people in, in this industry do that. So uh, take advantage of that. And on top of it all, really good people, right? Really good people who have one objective and that is to make you happy it's to make you happy right with their products so uh, take that in consideration vortexoptics.com wasp broadheads just a badass head man i mean like just a badass head badass company i love the people that again it all comes down to people for me really i love the people that work there and I can remember the first time I went into a store and bought a pack of wasps. You know, I I picked up the wasp jackhammer a long time ago and I put it on my head and I smoked this dough and it was like, I I hate to say it, but it was gory, right? You don't want to really use that to describe, uh, you know, this, this moment, but it was gory man i destroyed this poor doe this poor doe and i watched her drop like in 20 steps she didn't even know what hit her massive wound channel she dropped and i drug her in my truck right and when things like that happen and you're not thinking about if whatever product it is right and in this case it's a it's a mechanical broadhead you're not wondering oh man did it open did it do this did it do this no it opened it destroyed her lungs and heart and she's dead right there So it did its job. And that's what really, as hunters, we need our products to do. We just need them to do their job. That way we don't have to think about it. And when you're not thinking about your product, then you're focused on the hunt. You're focused on trying to get close to your game and kill it, right? And uh, that's why I have confidence in 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 wasp, right? So wasparchery.com. I do have a discount code for you, and that is uh, wasp. 20% 20% off your purchase, and here's the discount code, 9FINGERS20. 
2020 nine fingers 2020 my two favorite heads are the boss four blade which i'll probably be using for my elk hunt and uh the jackhammer for whitetails uh and i think yeah and mule deer too so all right that's the commercial that's the intro let's get into today's uh we'll call it a, a western hunt strategy planning <laughs> session with dave barnett of go hunt three two one all right on the phone with me today from go hunt mr dave barnett dave how we doing man doing good dan how about yourself i can't complain uh it's out of the 40s here in iowa we've had this huge cold spell uh the last couple weeks and now it's starting to actually look and feel like spring uh today and i'm pretty jacked about that because that means i can start doing some uh hunting activities wonderful man that's good we uh i live in i live in southwestern utah um we've had i mean we've had pretty phenomenal weather the last few weeks in the 60s and 70s um but we're on an extreme extreme drought right now you know a lot of the southwest united states is bad dry this spring um so we're really really watching precipitation levels and hoping (laughs) hoping we start getting some some of those monsoon storms come through soon yeah um i was just out shed hunting the other day and yeah i mean it, it looks like it's summertime out there right now it's bad yeah so in certain parts of the the uh, country that are i don't want to say desert type climates but uh i think there's another term for it where there's just not a lot of water that uh that comes through the area in a given year but the wildlife seems to flourish in, in those is this one of those uh droughts where the wildlife is having to move out or is just not surviving or is it just something that they're toughing toughing out and dealing with there's definitely some big concerns um across the west right now with this with this particular drought um a number of, of states have been reacting to it arizona just changed a bunch of seasons um wyoming's already announced a bunch of closures on or not closures but reductions to antelope tag numbers um you know there's quite a few states that are really taking notice of this and watching it um either reducing hunter opportunity uh, i.e in tag numbers or cutting season dates down um, so there, there's a number of agencies that are, that are pretty concerned about this at the moment. Yeah. And it, you know, it's definitely going to change the landscape a little. Yeah. And when, when you have drought, you're not just thinking about lack of water. You're also thinking about fire. And if you watch the news at all in the summertime, the last couple of years, fire has been a pretty big concern for the Western States. Yeah, it's been bad. You know, last year, Colorado was kind of the big one. Um, Colorado had some massive, massive fires last year. Um, you know, and yeah, we're, we're definitely worried about that. I mean, shoot, just a couple weeks ago, I had a huge brush, brush fire right across the street from my house. Um, you know, and, and, and one thing that we, we kind of run into down here when we get these drier springs like this is we don't get as much vegetation that grows on the landscape. Um, you know, so it's kind of a, it's kind of a two inch sword if you look at it. Um, whereas where I grew up in Western Montana, if we get a real, real wet spring, um, you'd have tons of vegetation on the ground and then you get a hot summer. So when fire season comes through, it gets even worse on wet years almost. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's some variables there. Um, but yeah, fires this year are going to be a huge, huge concern. And they could certainly, you know, displace some hunters and, and, and change things, you know, on the landscape as far as game goes too. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, man, this is, uh, you know, and this is something that is concerning for me as well, because I'm, a Midwesterner. I'm a flatlander, as you guys probably would call us. And um, my goal is to get out every year uh, from now on. You know, I, I, right. I've I've saved my money. I, I've focused, you know, my my 
my budget on what I want to accomplish, what my hunting goals are. And that is taking a Western hunt in some way, shape or form every year while my knees can still, <laughs> my knees can still do it. <laughs> yeah. So, right. um, and, and that's what I, I want to talk a little bit about today and kind of jump into this arena for someone like myself who I'm 40 years old, but I'm still new. I'm brand new to this. And I don't think that someone in my position can ever really, uh, it, I'm sure they can, if you put, you know, 10, 15, 20 years of experience under your belt, but I've only been on three, I think it's three elk hunts or four elk hunts. I've been on two or three mule deer hunts and, uh, that, that's it. So it, it can right. be kind of confusing some of this stuff as far as preference points and lotteries and, uh, and, and stuff like that. But before we get into that, let's talk about what you do for a second, um, at go hunt, what your role at go hunt is, and then how, how go hunt can actually, uh, clear the muddy waters, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Like you say, I mean, getting into Interwestern hunting, I mean, it, it's intimidating, you know, just from the, just from reading through the regulations. I mean, every state's are so different, um, you know, and trying to decipher your point systems and how that works and then just planning the logistics of even getting out there and then you know, how, you, how you get through the hunt um, definitely makes it tough. Um, so, yeah, here at Go Hunt, uh, my, my official title, I'm the research content manager. Um, so essentially in layman's terms, I deal very heavily with our research platform. Um, a, a lot of the written content that's on the research platform, handling, updating our seasons. Um, and then we have other people in the office that handle data and that type of thing. So I'm largely, largely involved in the research side of things with the company. Um, and speaking to go hunt directly, um, exactly what we're talking about right now, just trying to sift through kind of the bucket that is the West. Um, that's, that's exactly what go hunt was, was created for. We wanted to create kind of a one-stop shop for hunters to go to. It has all the information you need on each state, uh, breakdowns for every state, as far as how their tag system work, how their draws work, how it works for non-residents or residents. Um, just kind of a, a general overview of everything there. Uh, and then the other thing we wanted to do, uh, through our filtering 2.0 platform, was provide good tools for hunters to get in and, and start researching hunts and, and not have to sift through 20 different reports off the state website. You have everything right in front of you on one click. Um, and, and the main goal there is, is to really just show people how much opportunity there is out West. Um, you know, there's, there's certain States where you, you have to play the points game and that's just kind of the unfortunate side of it, but there is a ton of opportunity out there. Um, and that kind of goes back to, you know, like we're talking about with the drought conditions and some worries some people might have, um, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a really high point holder in Arizona, for instance, this might be a year that I would, I would opt to not apply for a tag and just apply for a point only. Um, you know, if I'm, if I've got 20 some odd points in there and I'm hoping for a 400 inch bull, um, you know, that, that may be a major struggle this year based on, on precipitation levels. Um, but when you start looking at kind of those low point hunts, over the counter hunts, just good opportunity hunts, there's still a ton of opportunity out there for you. Um, you know, like I said, that drought, usually you, you kind of feel it more on the top end of the points pools, leaning more towards the trophy quality animals. Yeah. But there's still a lot of, a lot of really, really good options out there. Um, and a lot of stuff, a lot of people don't consider, um, too. I mean, spring bears, one of, one of my favorite examples, that's a Western hunt. That's probably the cheapest hunt you can do. And it's, and it's relatively easy and it's a fun time of the year. Um, you know, so that, like I said, that's, that's our main goal at Go Hunt is to show people how much opportunity there is in the West and then give you all the tools that you need to, to accurately find these hunts, apply for them and plan for them. Okay. 
All right. So let's say there's a guy who at the end of this podcast, he stands up out of his couch or he's in his car. and He says, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to start today looking at some kind of Western hunt, right? Whether it's antelope or bear, mm-hmm. like you said, or elk or mule or whatever. Um, what is the first thing? That let's say someone out of the Midwest East, you know, who's typically a whitetail hunter in their own world, uh, needs to do, needs to think about, needs, you know, what's the first step as far as figuring out what you want to hunt and where you're going to hunt it at? Yeah, first step, like right away, obviously, is going to be figuring out which species you want to hunt and then what type of weapon types you're going to be preferring for that. Um, that'll give you a good inclination on, as you start looking at these various states, what type of point levels you might need, what type of over-the-counter opportunities are available. Um, you know, the, the weapon types really going to be kind of your big equalizer. Um, generally speaking, you know, point creep is a big thing we talk about all the time out West. Um, generally speaking, archery or muzzle or tags can give you a little bit better draws than a rifle tag, you know, so there's some things you can play there. Um, as far as like really kind of breaking down into state selection, um, you, you really have to kind of start looking at the, the small intricacies and, and differences between all the states and kind of where you can, I guess, barrier of entry, which state you can get into first to begin hunting. Um, you know, so say, for instance, if we were looking at, you know, doing an archery elk hunt and you wanted to get on a rotation where you could hunt a western state every year, um, you know, there's, there's a certain system we can go about to get you into Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, or Idaho and kind of do those on a cyclic uh, fashion, if you will, to where you can, you can literally hit one of those states every year. Um, you know, so again, kind of, kind of boils down to that. Um, the other thing too, that I really like to talk to you guys about with the West, there's a ton of different landscape and terrain types on in the West. Um, you know, and you can really kind of pick and choose how you want your hunt to go about and you can find opportunities for that. Um, I mean, you look in, in Wyoming, for instance, on the West side of the state, you have great you know, high country hunting in alpine areas for deer and elk. Um, but as you start moving out east, you got more plains type country. Uh, you know, there's a lot of opportunity out there as well, but it's, it's a different hunting style. You know, so a lot of it is kind of choosing the hunt that you want and then finding which state's going to, you know, meet all those parameters for you. Okay. Um, so then as you, uh, uh, let me ask you this though. You, you mentioned that there is more opportunity it sounds like there's more opportunity with archery and muzzleloader tackle than there is with a rifle. Um, is that true for all species across the board or in, in all parts of speci- like certain States or is that just, I don't know. Is it, is it because rifle hunting is easier? It's kind of a generality. <clears throat> um, you know, I mean, you look at it in certain species, um, you know, I mean, looking look for elk, for example, typically most of your rut hunts are going to be archery hunts, um, you know, but there are certain caveats to that as well, um, you know, but in, in general speaking, muzzleloader and archery hunts will be slightly easier to draw just because obviously the rifle hunt, you have more tar- participants in the rifle hunting realm, and, and I don't want to say it's easier with a rifle, but you don't have to be as close to the rifle, you know, so you have a, you know, a little bit easier entry there, um, you know, so the rifle hunting definitely gets more of the spotlight with that. But there are certain cases, too, um, where you, you might see better draws on a rifle hunt, and that's purely based on the fact that it's in a you know less desirable season date, um, you know, or has higher restrictions to it. Right. Um, but in general, you can get away with a little bit more um, with the archery muzzleloader side. Um, you might see a little bit more over-the-counter opportunity in the archery on certain things. Um, you know, so being, being well-versed in various weapon types, 
um, is a good thing to have under your, you know, under your hat for going out West. Um, but it, it's definitely not, I don't want to make it sound like if you're a, you know, if you're a straight rifle hunter that there's no hope for you. Cause there's still a lot of opportunity too. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just kind of digging through the weeds and, and seeing what's, what's realistic and attainable for you. Gotcha. All right. So I, I hear this term used a lot, uh, when it comes to, uh, hunting and I'm going to, it's almost like an ad lib, right? If you're willing right. to do this you're going to have a better opportunity at getting a tag to hunt whatever species you're going after. Is there, is there fill-ins there? Like if you're willing to X, then the outcome will be greater for you to draw or uh, hunt a, a species on year one or two or something like that. You can run into that. You know, I mean, one big thing, um, Colorado is a big state to look at. Colorado is probably one of the most, I mean, it is the most popular Western state. People are going to be researching, um, in, in talking specifically like on Colorado over the counter type hunts, um, for an over the counter elk tag in Colorado, they don't restrict tag sales. So there can be a massive amount of hunters on the landscape. Um, but as you start comparing those to say like some elk hunts that might take like a one or a two point draw, um, it drastically starts cutting down tag numbers, you know, so you, you could stay at that point, you know, if you're willing to, you know, wait another couple of years on this, you can, you can drastically improve your hunting conditions. Um, but along with that, you start looking into Colorado and, and they have a lot of units you can draw on zero points. Um, they have a lot of leftover tags every year too, but typically there's a, there's a reason a tag is going to be left over, you know, so you got low deer densities, you know, say low public land distribution, a lot of hunter numbers, that type of thing. Um, but if a guy's willing to work around those parameters and kind of go into the hunt with the right mindset, there's still a lot of opportunity. I mean, on some of the most crowded units in Colorado, they still kill giant bucks you know, 180 plus inch deer, the opportunities there, it's just dealing with, you know, some of these extra hurdles that you're going to be handling. Um, it kind of goes into the same sense of, of just getting away from people. You know, if you're willing to hike in a little bit further, you know, typically you can distance yourself from people, you know, so there, there are certain States you can look into, um, an area that might have say less density of, of whatever game animal you're after, but if it has less hunters, you know, then you can kind of argue the fact that, you know, I might see a lot less deer on this hunt, but I'm going to be finding more unpressured deer than I would in another unit. Gotcha. You know, so there's definitely things you can use to your advantage if you're willing to kind of put in the boot leather yeah. to, to overcome that challenge. That can kind of tip the odds in your favor. Okay. So, you know, we, we've already kind of uh, skimmed the surface here. How does a guy then boil it all down, right? And, and obviously go hunt helps with some of that stuff. But a guy says, and maybe we can use Colorado, for instance, because it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's almost a, like in certain units, it's over the counter, right? Other units are, right. are, are preference point in a, in a draw system. So let's say a guy says, I want to go to Colorado or I want to go to a state that is over the counter uh, hunting. How does mm -hmm. he go about finding the, the unit that is right for him? And how does he like go about breaking down, man, I, I, I want to have the best odds, but at the same time, I, I don't know if I'm prepared enough to go five miles in the back country, set up a tent and, and do all those, that, that back country style hunting. Right. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's tough. Um, one thing you do run into, if you're starting to look at like various states is all the states gather data in different ways. Um, some states are very, very, very good about data. Other states are horrendous with their, with their provided data. Um, and what I mean with data, there'd be like, 
um, hunting statistics in terms of number of hunters, harvest success, that type of thing. Uh, so some states are, are far, far better than others. And that's really like what we try to do um, on the go hunt platform um, is, is try to like provide some kind of normalcy between all of the states and allow you to kind of, you know, filter through that. So some things I might look at, you know, say Colorado, just going back to Colorado there. Um, just for instance, I was researching a, a deer hunt. I just put in for, I'm going to do a hunt with my cousin this year. Um, and, and really what I'm going to focus on on that is I'm going to be looking at my hunter numbers on the unit and kind of balance that off the size of the unit. You know, if I have, if I have two units, I have the same amount of hunter numbers, but one's twice the size, you know, that gives me a little bit more leeway that way. Um, so oftentimes myself, I really like to look at hunter numbers. Um, I don't particularly focus on hunter success that much. Um, hunter success is still an important factor, but a lot of it's just based on hunter effort. You know, so there's, there's kind of a big asterisk that goes along with hunter success. It doesn't necessarily impact you to an extent, but it can give you a good idea on areas that may be trending up or down. Um, you know, so, so looking at kind of your various stats that the websites may have available for you. Um, and that's one thing that we did make real easy on our go hunt platform, um, on our filtering 2.0 map, we essentially give you the ability to go in and say, you want to look at Colorado elk. So you can click on Colorado elk and you have a bunch of filtering options. I can filter the units out based on public land percentages. I can filter them out based on season types, on harvest statistic data, all this kind of data and essentially what I can do is I can set all these parameters. I want a hunt that's going to meet every single one of these parameters and our map's going to show you, here's all the units that hit all that parameter. So we kind of help you like narrow the scope down from there. And then from that point, you can begin jumping into the unit profiles, kind of reading through those, getting an idea of what the landscape like, if it's going to kind of pique your interest in an area that you may want to hunt. Um, and then you can further dive into the, you know, the, the application numbers and, and odds and that kind of thing. Okay. Um, but that's, that's going to be the biggest struggle initially is just trying to figure out a place, uh, to go. Yeah. And, and we see it all too often that somebody will, you know, whatever, say in Colorado, they, they start looking around and they're like, man, I really want to do an over the counter hunt. I'm just going to start putting it for this hunt. So they finally draw the tag, you know, say five or six years into it. Well, now they're going on their, on their first elk hunt five or six years after they started planning. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a really good opportunity here, like those over the counter hunts in Colorado or an over the counter hunt in Idaho or something just to start getting your feet wet in the Western hunting game. Um, I mean, a lot of times the biggest struggle is just kind of doing your first hunt and getting, you know, kind of everything figured out and learning the ropes on it. And then everything kind of starts falling into place from there. Yeah. What is, what are some things that you hear, uh, guys say, uh, that are from the east or from you know like the cornfields of Iowa where I there's I think the the highest part in our state is maybe 900 feet right it, it's right it, it, there's no there's no elevation there's no big incline um, what what are some of the hurdles that people run into that you hear maybe them bitching about during this whole process and then maybe give a example and, and maybe answer that to walk people off the ledge, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, hands down, the first thing is going to be just, you know, just breaking down the barrier of entry into Western hunting. And I mean, like we already hit, hit on, um, it's a very confusing thing to look at on a, on a base level until you spend a lot of time breaking things down. Um, so I'd say just like the intimidation factor of doing the hunt in general. Um, but one thing, like you said, as far as like elevation goes, um, you start getting out west, and some of these states have some extreme, extreme elevation in them. I mean, you start looking at, like, Colorado particularly, uh, Wyoming, Utah, a little bit of Idaho. Um, you know, that's one thing. It, it, it's easy to sit at home and, you know, plan on going in five miles, 
Um, but when you actually you get there and you're 6,000 feet higher than you normally live and you're going to hike another 2,000 up, you know, it can start really getting into you. Um, you know, in this day and age, uh, you know, the, the backcountry hunter, so to speak, is it's a very popular way of hunting, um, you know, and, and it's kind of like a, you know, like a badge of honor for people to wear to be a backcountry hunter. Um, you know, but one thing to keep in mind is there's a lot of little underlooked spots that are right next to roads too. You know, you don't necessarily have to go out West and, and bomb in 10 miles and be hunting these huge Alpine basins. There's a ton of opportunity you can find just off roads in many places. Um, the biggest bull I ever killed in Montana, I killed a quarter mile off of a road. It was just a little nondescript spot that nobody wanted to hike into. Yeah. You know, so there, there's, there's, a, like I said, there's a lot of intimidation factor going into a Western hunt. I think a lot of people, uh, probably tend to kind of glamorize a little bit more than it needs to be. Um, like I said, a lot of it is just, it's just kind of getting over the mental aspect and just, just doing the hunt. You know, you generally find it's a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, one common question though, that I do get a lot, I feel a lot of these is guys heading into states like Wyoming and Montana and, and worrying about grizzly bears. Um, grizzly bears are very common worry. In fact, a grizzly bear just unfortunately mauled somebody to death in Montana here a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, in, in general speaking, in Montana particularly, there's there's far more units without grizzlies than there are with grizzlies. Um, you know, so that's that's one thing too. I think a lot of people kind of get freaked out by the predator thing. That was um, a you know, that was actually bad news. Yeah, that was actually a determining factor in where I applied this year for my Wyoming for my Wyoming, I I just I haven't been on enough I've never been around them Uh, and more than likely I'm going to be doing this hunt solo uh, by myself if I draw this year and I did not want to throw grizzly bear (laughs) possible grizzly bear attacks into the things (laughs) I needed to worry about you know so I I decided to go to a different unit that apply for a different unit that did not have that uh that factor yeah Definitely. Yeah. And that, that's one thing. I mean, you know, let alone the, the stress factor of just watching over your back the whole time. You know, if you're in bad grizzly bear country, then you're dealing with cooking your food away from camp. You're hanging your food away from camp. You know, it adds a lot of extra work to a hunt versus just rolling up to your, you know, your camp or your camper, you know, whatever you're doing for sleeping and just going to sleep. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of extra things to consider. So, yeah, grizzly bears, one thing I get hit on uh, a lot, a lot, a lot. You know, that, yeah. that's a big factor for a lot of guys. Let me, um, you know, in general, yeah, go ahead. Let me ask you this about grizzly bears since we're on the topic. Obviously, it's something that needs to be worried about or, or thought about, I should Correct. say. But when, like for me, I'm just like, hell no, man, I ain't going to worry about it. Is it something that right. is a big deal? Like it's very, very important, like like equal to ha- having water if you're going to go on a backcountry hunt as opposed to... Um, or is it maybe blown out of proportion? Um, I think in, in, in the right areas, it's definitely necessary. Um, you know, I think in general, um, if you're not in like a, say a quote unquote grizzly hot spot, it pays to be smart about things, but I, I definitely don't think you really need to be too awful concerned about it. Um, in 99% of the spots I hunt in Montana, I, you know, I don't carry spray or anything like that. I mean, we're still smart and cognizant if we're, you know, approaching an animal for another quarter or something like that, you know, say we return into the kill site or whatever. Um, you know, but like I said, there's definitely a time and place to be smart and cognizant with it, but there's, there's other places where I would tell you to, you know, not necessarily worry about it, but you know, still just be making wise decisions when needed. Have you ever had a, a grizzly bear encounter? I haven't. 
Um, in fact, most of the places I hunted in Western Montana weren't even like grizzly bear area. Um, I hunted one area, uh, the last few years I lived up there, uh, for elk, I, I ran into a ton of grizzly sign, um, but never actually ran into a bear. Yeah. Um, I've, I've been around tons of black bear. I never really had an issue with them. I really don't have any concern with black bear at all. Um, you know, but there again, they, you know, they have the capability of doing it if they want to. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, you know, we're sitting here talking about, uh, getting your feet wet on a potential hunt. Is there an opportunity? Um, like what would you recommend? Let me ask you this way. Would you rather, would you recommend some guy go to uh, a state that has, or a unit that is, a um, an over the counter tag, uh, and start playing that game first uh over the counter tags or would you recommend guys going into like starting to buy hey i want to i want to elk hunt in four years uh so right let's go preference point route yeah for sure i mean yeah if, it, if it's a situation where <clears throat> i guess i look at that in two in, in two different routes let's say that a guy's like all right i can go hunting in four years you know, the time leading up to that four-year period, I'm, I'm busy. I can't go. Then I'd say, okay, let's look at some point system. Let's get you into a couple states. And then at that four-year, you're going to have a couple options to start looking at. Um, you know, but if a situation where guys like, I just want to get into Western hunting and I want to get myself set up to where I can start hunting, you know, every year, every other year, you know, whatever. And then we can start looking at doing kind of a combination. So we can start looking at some of these states, like say Wyoming or Montana, um, you have to have points to draw their general tag. You're generally a three to four year wait. Montana's a two to three year wait. Um, you know, so what kind of states can we supplement in the meantime while you're waiting for your points to accrue in those states? We can start looking at, you know, Colorado opportunities, Idaho opportunities. If you're further out west, you can look at like Washington or Oregon. Um, and then you got other opportunities. Arizona's got a great over the counter uh, archery deer hunt. You can look into, you know, you, you have some good options there. You know, it's like I said, a lot of it kind of boils down to, I guess what your end goal is, um, you know, if there's a situation where a guy's like, say, say an older gentleman or somebody that just wants to do one elk hunt and kind of be done with it. You know, at that point we might look into some more preference point options and, and try to get you into some opportunities there. Um, you know, and there's, there's, especially in Wyoming, um, with their, with their wilderness laws and non-residents not being able to hunt wilderness unless they're with a guide. Yeah. Um, there's oftentimes if you have the funds to go with a guide, you can get into some phenomenal hunts in Wyoming every year. Um, just based on the fact that nobody applies for the hunts because they're, you know, unless they're with a guide, they can't go. Um, so you get in some of those areas, again, it's high, high grizzly bear country, but you get in some of those areas around Yellowstone, you know, guy can get into every year or two and, and be in some incredible hunting. Gotcha. You know, so there's definitely a strategy to be had there, um, you know, ultimately landing on kind of your end goals of your, you know, your Western hunting career, if you will. Yeah. So now let's talk about species on top of all of that. Is there, and you've already mentioned that spring bear has a lot of opportunities, Mm -hmm. but when I think of the West, you know, cause there's, you know, there's some black bears in Minnesota and Canada, just North of me. When I think of the West, I think of elk, antelope, mule deer. Okay. Is there one of, one of those species if a guy just wants a Western experience, he doesn't care what he's hunting. Is it, is there any of those species that offer more of an opportunity or an easier draw or opportunity over the other? Yeah, definitely. You're going to, you're going to find probably arguably more opportunity in the elk realm. Um, just based on the fact that you have a little bit more over the counter offerings with elk. Um, certainly with deer, you have some good opportunities with deer in a number of states. 
Uh, antelope generally is going to take a few more points than the other two species, but there, there's definitely some exceptions to that. Uh, Montana is a phenomenal state to look at for, for archery antelope hunting in particular. Um, some very good opportunities there. There are some over-the-counter opportunities for antelope in Colorado for archery. Um, generally pretty low odds of success, but there's, you know, there's some good opportunity there if a guy wanted to look at that too. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, uh, elk is going to probably be your, your lowest barrier of entry. Um, so you have over-the-counter tags in Colorado, Idaho, and then you can also look at Washington or Oregon. Um, but getting into like draw hunts with those, I mean, you look at Wyoming for a, for a pretty minimal investment of, of getting up to like four points for the general tag. You have some phenomenal hunting on that general tag in Wyoming. Um, same thing with Montana. You can generally draw their, their big game combo on about two points, two to three points. Um, and their general hunting is incredible in Montana. There's so much opportunity up there. Um, you know, so really for, for a guy that wants to kind of start diving into elk, um, be it rifle or archery, uh, there's, there's a lot of opportunity out there for it. Um, now you start talking big bulls, you know, when you start throwing in the trophy potential of things, yeah. that's when everything kind of starts getting changed. Yeah. And that's a good, um, but, that's you know, a good transition. Talking, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, strict, strictly talking, um, freezer filling standpoint. Um, yeah. Elk, you have tons of opportunity for, for elk. Okay. Um, even here in Utah, we have, we have a spike only over the counter hunt. That is probably one of my, my favorite hunts of the year. The thing's a blast. Um, it's a, it's a great time. You know, it's a, yeah, there's, there's a lot of opportunity out here, um, yeah. you know, for that so much. So to the point kind of, kind of going back to my other point is, you know, we can literally sit down and kind of tailor build a hunt. To, to what you know when you close your eyes and you see your perfect elk hunt we can kind of build that hunt out and there's going to be probably over-the-counter areas or very low point areas that'll that'll do that for you yeah yeah so you know now let's talk about antlers right and and scores right. and, and stuff like that a guy a guy wants to come out and he wants to shoot something that is worth mounting on his wall or, you know, he's like, man, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. The only thing I have left to check off is gigantic mule deer, right? Or, or, gi- right. or Boone and Crockett mule deer, Boone and Crockett elk, Boone, you know, a guy who's after numbers, basically. Um, what kind of layer does that throw on this whole conversation? A big, heavy one. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I mean... It, it, it's it's interesting. So you look at you know Montana. Uh, actually, a really good example in Montana. Um, a couple of years ago, there's a gentleman by the name of Steve Felix. He killed the the new world record typical archery elk. Uh, I think it went right at like 4:30 even. He killed that on a draw hunt in Montana, but it was a draw hunt that residents can draw pretty much every year, and non-residents can get it on like three or four points. Um, you know, so pretty low entry point you know get into a bull of that caliber you know in in even then looking at like wyoming general tags um, montana general tags they can produce giant giant bulls um our store manager brian campos who works here at go hunt he killed a 340 plus inch bull on an over-the-counter unit in colorado a couple years ago which is is not to be expected at all on an over-the-counter unit you know so there's always that opportunity of killing you know a, a big animal but if a guy is is basically kind of putting a benchmark on the score. I want an animal this big or bigger or else I'm not going to shoot it. And especially if you start talking, you know, like a Boone, a Boone and Crockett type type animal, um, you're really dealing with some some pretty high-end points. Um, you know, in most states, you're probably going to be talking, you know, at minimum 10-plus points. It's hard to put, like, a hard number on that, but, you know, you're probably 10-plus points. Um, the other ways you can kind of get around that 
is going into like some guided hunting opportunities like we kind of mentioned there in wyoming um you get like around yellowstone there you can get some really good guided hunt opportunities there and it, it cuts down you know the amount of points you might need um so you know definitely going the guided route or paying private land that type of thing is, is kind of your way of getting into that a little bit sooner but for your general you know kind of blue collar guy that's just trying to build points and you know see what he can do you're going to be probably in for a long haul um you know talking a big animal like that yeah it's not saying that they don't exist on other places but they have the the preference points higher draw odds are there for a reason right correct yeah definitely and you know you can look at i mean there's certain states um colorado on general is 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 going to produce larger deer on average than what you're going to get in montana there's just way better genetics better feed better habitat everything in colorado so you could argue that you know a colorado hunt that you could draw and zero to two points you could probably kill a bigger buck than you're going to find in montana on a general tag you know there, there's obviously some exceptions to that ruling um and with some of the season changes in colorado this year that's probably no longer going to be the case going forward um, they're getting pretty aggressive about shooting some deer there um you know but there, there's definitely you know at that point certain states that we could say um you know you're interested in general hunting opportunities but you want to you know have the best opportunity at a bigger deer or a bigger bull or what have you, you know, there, there might be some states we'd point you towards at that point. Um, you know, if a guy said he wanted to shoot the best bull that he could with his bow on an archery hunt, I'd probably put you in Wyoming or Montana, you know, so there's certain things you can do there, but yeah, in general, um, when you start putting you know, hard numbers on score, your, your point level required to get into that starts really jacking up. Yeah. And yet another layer that we, we have to discuss is, and I'm, I'm still learning about all this as well, is the public-private land, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And there are certain rules in certain states that allow, you know, certain landowners to say, no, you can't come through my property to hunt what's on the other side. And then there are certain states that, you know, have, uh, I guess, some kind of easements uh, uh, that allow a hunter to go or uh, uh, anyone who wants to, you know, go onto public land through a, a private land. What... Let's just talk about that layer because I think out of everything that we just talk, talked about, that seems to be one big hurdle that a lot of people like don't understand or there might be some misconceptions when talking about the, the whole public-private thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's huge. Um, I mean, you, you know, considering that like – you know, Midwestern guys, like where you're coming from, that type of thing, obviously you have a, a huge distribution of, of private land. Um, public land is kind of a commodity, and when you do find it, it's generally hunted pretty hard. Um, you look in some western states, uh, you know, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, and a number of places, um, particularly if you're looking at, like, elk habitat, I mean, you can pretty much, if you're in the mountains, it's wide open. You know, as far as you can see, it's public land. You can hunt, uh, you know, just insane, insane amounts of public land. You know, there's tons of it. Um, now you start looking at some other states, like uh, Colorado is a really good example. So you look at, like, say if a guy's researching a, a Colorado rifle deer hunt, you want to hunt a little bit later, hunt around the rut. So we're going to be looking like a second, third, or fourth season rifle hunt. Um, you might look at a unit and be like, man, this unit, you know, it's whatever, several thousand square miles. It's got 70% public land. You know, it's kind of got everything I'm looking for. Well, one thing you really need to consider is at that time of the year where those animals are going to be. So when you start looking at a later rifle hunt, a lot of those deer are going to be down low and you're kind of really getting mixed into your private land at that point. You know, so there's certain units you might look at, and, and on paper it looks phenomenal, but, you know, the the 40% of that unit that's private, that might be where all the deer are that time of the year. 
Yeah. Yeah. So the guy definitely has to pay attention to that. Um, you know, you run into uh, corner hopping, um, like in Montana specifically. That's always a big one in Montana. If you have two pieces of, of state land, for instance, and their corners touch, you can't legally cross from one to the other. Um, you know, so there's a lot of landlocked public land too that's inaccessible. Um, now that being said, in certain areas, pretty much every state has programs set in place where they actually have private land that's enrolled into public hunting opportunities for hunters. So essentially, the states will kind of on a, on a real base level explanation, the states will offer some kind of compensation to the landowner to in turn allow public hunting on their land. Yeah. Um, so in those instances, you know, in Montana, like on the east side of Montana, if you're antelope hunting or something, there's a lot of private land you can actually hunt. But along with that, some of those private land pieces might butt up against landlocked public pieces. So you can kind of use that private land to access into additional areas as well. Um, you know, so with, with the mapping apps that are out available now, um, we have a new mobile app that's getting ready to release soon. It's going to have all the public and private land data on there. Um, those on certain hunts get, get very, very, very important. Um, you know, like I said, just cause it's on my mind, cause I applied for it recently, you know, those Colorado deer hunts, you really have to watch your maps and, and there's a lot of opportunity for guys that want to sit down and try to figure out those little areas you can get into. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely something to consider. Um, you know, there's certain species that you're definitely going to feel it a lot more, um, particularly like deer and antelope. Um, but you get into other species and like I said, you can, you might have almost essentially unlimited access to the area that you're hunting. Yeah. Where do guys tend to get in trouble? Uh, they have brain dead moments where they think everything's fine. They uh, they have points and they're just like, oh, okay, well, I got points. I'm going to apply. Let's let's see what you know. Let me apply for this unit. And then all of a sudden they get something back, or or maybe they burn a whole bunch of points that they were just like, dude, I shouldn't have done that type type of moments. Where, where are some of those right. mistakes made? Yeah, so I think a big one would be, like we were just talking about in Colorado there, um, you get stuck into a unit that, say, maybe it's got, you know, high harvest success rate, it's got a lot of public land, um, but then you get there and you find out all the deer are on private, and a lot of that harvest success is coming from people shooting them off of private. Yeah. You know, so you get kind of like skewed results from that, if you will. Um, so, yeah, when you, when you start talking, getting into kind of that, you know, that higher to midpoint level, um, you know, it starts getting a little bit more uh a little bit more important to really kind of look at the unit that you're applying for and see, you know, if I draw this unit, am I actually going to have better hunting opportunities than what I would have had, say, three or four points ago on a different unit just because it had more public land in it? Yeah. Um, you know, and there, and there, you run into the issue there, too, when you start talking points, um, you know, you, you hit point creep, which, you know, we can touch on that, but um, you start getting point creep, and, and there's what we call the no man's land and points. There's a there's a huge stretch in a lot of states where you either are, are going to be sitting in for the long haul and probably likely never drawing the tag that you want due to point creep, uh, or you have to turn around and burn the 15 points that you have on a hunt that would normally cost four points just because you want to get out of the point pool you know, and kind of get restarted with that. Uh, we see it every year. I mean, you'll see people that just get sick of sitting on something, and they'll throw you know an exuberant amount of points into a hunt just to just to get a tag and be done with it. Yeah. You know, so really kind of paint. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Where do you see that happening the most? Is that with elk or other um, harder species like, uh, I don't know, sheep or bighorn or or mountain goats? Yeah, you'll see it definitely more like on the deer and elk side. Um, You know, you talk to like your your big trophy species, you know, moose, sheep, goat, bison. 
Um, those are going to be the ones that you, you, you're pretty much just always going to have crap odds with that. You know, it doesn't matter. You got to pay to play the game with those. You know, you just have to apply. Otherwise, you, you won't get a sheep tag. Um, only caveat to that would be doing like an unlimited unit sheep hunt in Montana, which is probably one of the most brutal hunts in the lower 48 you can do. Um, but yeah, especially in antelope, uh, mule deer, some little bit of white tail in some areas, but antelope, mule deer, and elk specifically. Those are going to be the ones. Those are high-profile animals. Those are, you know, everybody wants a 200-inch buck, a 400-inch bull. Um, those are going to be the units that are really going to take a ton of points to draw. And essentially, with that, with the point creep, you you kind of have a you have an excess amount of applicants, and you have a very low amount of tags. So every year, the amount of points it takes to draw that tag keeps jumping and jumping and jumping and jumping. And if there's enough applicants ahead of you, um, you know, it's possible in your lifetime you'll never draw that tag. Right. So you'll, you'll, you'll see that often where, you know, people will, you know, say they started putting in for a tag 20 years ago that they wanted and eventually gets to the point that, you know, they, they figure it out they're not going to draw that in their lifetime, you know, and they got to start looking into some other options. Yeah. What are some causes of point creep? Because I, I hear that thrown around a lot, but I, I, and I think I understand, but I, I think I only understand a little bit of it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so point creep typically is going to be kind of referred to um, under a true preference point system where the highest point holders get the tags first. Um, it can definitely kind of happen in a random odd as well, which I'll explain that. But yeah, essentially with a point creep situation is let's say, you know, a certain hunt gives out two tags. Let's say we're looking at like a really hard to draw hunt, it gives out two tags and you have 10 people that apply at the high point level, which we'll just say that's 10 points. Well, two of those guys are going to draw it. Now you have eight people left over. So now essentially what you're looking at is for the next four years, those high point holder groups are going to take all the tags. And then you have the next point group that's behind it that's been slowly building up applicants as well. Uh, yeah. you know, so basically what you do, you can imagine it as a funnel, you know, where you have this huge backup behind it and just a little bit trickling out the front. Um, you know, So like I said, it, it's possible. I mean, I, I got a kid that just turned one year old, and if I can buy him bonus points in a state, you know, whatever given state, there's certain states I could put him in for, and he'll never draw it you know, in his lifetime, just based on point creep alone, man, that's crazy. Um, you know, so point creeps, uh, it, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a necessary evil, um, with the point systems that we have. Um, it, it points are a good thing. They're also a bad thing. You know, it's, it's, it's an unfortunate side effect of Western hunting and, and the amount of you know attention it's gotten recently. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but there again, like I said, you know, it's, it's easy to wallow and not ever drawing a, you know, a giant, giant tag. But there's also some opportunities, you know, that a guy can find beyond that. Um, and you'll also see point creep in some states. Um, you look at like New Mexico or Idaho are good examples. They don't have a point system, so they're a true lottery. Um, but as those states become more prolific and the animals they're producing, they get more, you know, highlights and they're seen on social media and that type of thing, you'll start seeing more applicants on a given hunt. So now, you know, your, your draw odd that was 10 years ago is 15% now might be 2%. You know, yeah. so you're seeing kind of a... a an odds creep if you will at that point yeah so let's talk yeah, so it's, it's definitely getting felt yeah let's talk about that real quick what is the different what's the true difference as far as if i go into a lottery hunt versus if i go into a preference point hunt and like as far as odds are concerned or the percentage of me drawing a tag because I look at I look at it from a percentage standpoint, right? I I see there's X percentage in a lottery, and there's also X percentage in a preference point um, uh, draw as well. What's the difference between the lottery and the preference point? 
Yeah, so primary difference can be looking at like on a, on a true preference point system, not a bonus point, but a true preference point system. Uh, and this will vary from state to state to state, but most states are generally going to allocate a certain percentage of those tags are going to go to your high point holders first, meaning that if, if I have 10 points and you have nine, I'm going to draw that tag before you do. Um, so let's say, you know, whatever, on a given unit, they, they put 75% of the tags are going to go to the highest point holders only. So they're going to fill those out on that 75%. That remaining 25% is then going to go into a random draw for the remaining applicants that applied for that. Um, so oftentimes in certain states, like such as Wyoming, Colorado, you can predict how many points you're going to need to be guaranteed that tag. But there, there is sometimes opportunities to draw it at a lower point level, albeit they're generally very small. Um, you know, so you have some kind of a accountability there um, in planning that type of thing. Okay. Now, with a, with a random lottery state um, like New Mexico or Idaho, um, they literally are just taking the amount of applicants they have, and they're going to start pulling tags, and there's no preference to them based on how long they've been applying, how new they are, whatever. They're just going to pull the tags out. Um, you do run into some caveats there. As a non-resident, you have non-resident cap quotas. You know, non-residents can only draw up to X amount of tags in most states. There are some states where there, there's no difference there. Um, Washington and Alaska, they actually put non-residents and residents in the same pool. You know, but generally speaking, like I said, the, the lottery states are going to be just like it is. It's a pure lottery. There's no, you know, there's nothing to it. Um, and then when you get into your true preference point states, that's where you're going to run into essentially highest point holders get them first. Uh, now, some other states that you might look into, say Montana or Nevada, they use a bonus point system, and they also square your points. So under a bonus point system, basically all that happens is as you get more points, you essentially get more names in the hat, but it doesn't guarantee you a tag. You know, so you're still kind of a – it's like a modified lottery system. Everybody can still draw from zero points on up to max points. You just have a much higher opportunity at max points. You have way more names in the hat at that point. Gotcha. Okay. So let's talk about, let's kind of wind things down here with a system, right? I've already told mm-hmm. you that I want to hunt the West as much as I can. Uh, and, you know, I, you know, it sounds like there's plenty of opportunity across several states. How do you approach people with a plan? Maybe some lottery hunts, maybe some preference point accumulation, maybe general uh, over-the-counter tags. What would you recommend for a process or cycle that allows you to hunt the West every single year and then maybe out of every of those every single years, let's say one out of five years or six years or whatever is a cash-in uh, year, if that makes yeah, sense? Definitely, definitely. Yeah, so typically what I like to do first thing is I like to break down the states based on their draw cycle. So you're going to have, or I shouldn't say that, I should say tag opportunities. So we're going to have our over-the-counter states that you can get into. Um, you're going to have your states that, you know, have, say, opportunity at low point levels. And then you're going to have your states that are pretty much going to be, you have to hold on to points because it's going to be like a big bull or a big buck tag when you do draw it. Um, so typically... What I really like to do is, is first thing, look at, you know, obviously what you want to hunt. So let's just say you want to, you know, you're, you're an archery elk hunter. You want an archery elk hunt. <clears throat> so we're going to look at that and say, okay, in Mon- Montana, you can generally draw that combination license on two to three points. Wyoming, you're generally around four points. So what we can do is we can start buying points in those states, anticipating a hunt in the next couple of years on, on either one of those states. In the meantime, I'm going to look at my over-the-counter states that I can kind of fill in you know, while I'm waiting on those states to cash out. So you have Idaho. If you can get a non-resident tag in Idaho, they were 
sold out exceptionally fast this year. It was crazy. Um, you can look at Colorado. And like I mentioned, there's there's some over-the-counter elk opportunities in Utah. It's not a great, great state for it, but there is some opportunity there. You know, so I'm going to be looking at these states. Um, so you kind of build like a five-year plan. You know, or I'm going to be putting in my points for Wyoming and Montana. I'm going to be filling in over-the-counter hunts where I can in the meantime. Um, beyond that, you're going to be looking at states, you know, like Utah. This is going to be a really good state to build points in. But as a non-resident, in order to draw a big bull tag in Utah, you're going to be talking, you know, probably bare minimum 15 points. Um, with their draw system, it's possible to draw at a lower point level. It's just highly, highly unlikely. And the same thing goes with Arizona. Um, you get to Arizona, it's a great state to build points in. Uh, there's actually a lot of opportunity in Arizona to consider um you know but that's a state you're probably generally going to need a you know a fair amount of points anyways to get a good tag and then there's other states um you look at like new mexico um basically in new mexico you don't get anything for applying you have to buy your hunting license to apply you have to front all the money to do the applications and then you receive your refund less the hunting license if you don't draw um new mexico is not really a state that i personally apply for that much unless it's all my draw hunts throughout the year creates an opening for a hunt in new mexico so it's kind of really situational for me um same thing goes with idaho i personally don't apply to idaho unless i've already purchased my hunting license and i plan on hunting there that year at that point it's real cheap to throw in for the rest of the tags and i, I can i can go that route you know, and, and Idaho is a state where you're not getting points back. So you're not really getting an investment, you know, out of your money at that point. Yeah. You know, so really, like I said, it's breaking down kind of where, you know, here's my easy hunts I can get into. And I, I know I can do this hunt every year. Here's kind of my, you know, my, you know, say three to five year type plan hunts that, you know, every three to five years, I'm going to go to Montana or Wyoming and I'm going to have a really, really good hunt. And then here's the ones that are kind of like up in my, you know, these are up in my dream category. Here's the states that I'm just going to be buying points for and building points for in hopes that someday, you know, I get that tag ring goes through that 380 inch bull. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what if the guy isn't species specific? And so for, I'm going to say I'm not species specific. Like I have a, right. I have a bucket list and I want to kill. Uh, a mule deer. I want to kill a uh, antelope. I want to kill an elk. And uh, I'm not necessarily, I, I really don't care, you know, the bigger, the better. Right. But I'm not too caught up right. in the actual antler size. I, I would love like me personally, I envision uh, sit mixed in with my whitetail mounts, uh, you know, an elk mount, uh, an antelope mount and a mule deer mount. And I can say, you know, show my kids and, and have stories that go along with right. this. So it's not, yeah. it's not necessarily I'm, I'm species specific, but I want the full, you know, I want the, I want a little bit of everything. It, does that, does that yeah, system change then? It, it changes a little, just depending on where the opportunity lies for each of those species. You know, elk, elk and deer are going to be fairly similar. Uh, Montana and Wyoming are both going to be really good states just to build points in in general, honestly, for all three of the species that we're discussing. Um, you know, they're going to be really good in general. They'll look at Colorado. There's a ton of good opportunity there, you know, say on the two-point or under level um, you can get into for deer. You can really start looking at, you know, there's little things you can get into and do there. Um, you can get, like I said, there's over-the-counter hunts in Arizona for deer. Um, if a guy wanted to go hunt coos deer in Arizona, there's a ton of hunts you can draw on zero points with a rifle. You know, so there's a lot of opportunity there for deer, but uh, in general, there's, you know, the same states that you have to build points in if you want a, you know, real good deer tag. So like Utah is a prime example, you know, that's one you're just kind of building points on and slowly hoping, you know, someday you draw that tag. 
But in the meantime, you know, you might be looking at some of these lower to draw hunts in Colorado. You might be looking at the general hunts in Wyoming or Montana, potentially an over-the-counter tag in Idaho. Um, you know, so you still have some good opportunities in there. You now, like I said, when you start talking antelope, that kind of changes things a little bit. You look into states like Arizona. Arizona is a phenomenal antelope state, but you're going to need like 20-plus points to draw a tag there. Um, same thing when you start talking Nevada and even getting into Utah. Um, now you look at Wyoming, Wyoming has an insane amount of antelope out there. And I mean, you save your points. It's definitely worth it. You know, you get into that five to 10 point range or some really good hunts, but there's also a lot of opportunity if you just want to go out every couple of years and do it on you know two points there, you can eventually get into a unit where you're going to kill a good buck. Yeah. There's just enough antelope out there in Wyoming. Um, the same thing when you look into Montana, Montana actually has a, uh, an archery tag that you can draw the 900 dash 20 tag. Um, so that archery tag, it allows you to hunt two weeks before everybody else is out hunting in the field and you can hunt almost the entire state with, with the one tag, whereas all the other antelope tags are going to be unit specific. Gotcha. So that 900 tag, you can generally draw that as a non-resident with just a few points. Residents can almost guarantee draw it. Um, you know, and you can be hunting, you know, not, not giant, giant antelope, but a 70 plus inch goat is, is pretty attainable in Montana. You know, they, they do kill some big goats. Um, you know, but yeah, Montana antelope, you got tons of opportunity there. So, I mean, it, it will change a little bit, you know, species to species. Um, you know, there, there's definitely some states that kind of trend in that, in that recommendation realm, you know, especially Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, those are kind of three big states that are always going to get brought up. Um, you know, but it does take a little bit of planning to kind of figure out your, your plan of attack for all of the species. Um, and, and kind of really go into that a little bit further too. One thing I would warn guys against would be trying to essentially accomplish like too many of those species at one time. So like Montana is a real good example. Montana with their non-resident general licenses, you can draw a combination license that nets you a, a deer tag and an elk tag. Um, typically when a guy goes out on a hunt, if, if you're not focused on one of those species more than the other, you're going to end up just kind of spinning your wheels and really not hunting either of them effectively. Yeah. You know, so it really pays dividends, I think, to, to kind of build out a plan and be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to archery elk hunt in, you know, Colorado this year, and I'm going to cash my points and go hunt, you know, Wyoming antelope or something like that. Yeah. You know, so not, not spreading yourself too thin, you know, just leaving your opportunities out there. Yeah. Absolutely. And also with that, I mean, you could, you could argue putting a, you know, a preference on those three species. Let's say you have an interest in killing all three, but like elk is, you know, your jam. Um, you know, we, we look at and kind of build you a five-year plan for elk or so, so to speak. And then maybe on the years that, you know, you're not going to draw your elk tag you want, or you don't want to do an over the counter Colorado, maybe that's the year that we can, you know, in the meantime, your, your Wyoming animal points, we cash in. Yeah. Yeah. So we can definitely build out a, it's very easy to build a Western hunting plan and be able to hunt every single year. And you can diversify yourself across species easy too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, is there anything else that a guy uh, or gal needs to know about playing the, the Western game, uh, whether it's, you know, applications or, or points or the lottery or public or private land or anything that really stands out that is a necessity to know uh, as of right now? You know, I, th I think we covered most things pretty well. Uh, I mean, I guess kind of like my, my leading piece of advice to anybody would be as far as Western hunting is concerned is um, it's intimidating as hell on the face value. But when you really start breaking things down, Western hunts are extremely attainable. 
um, the adventure is is crazy. I mean, some of the the country you can get yourself into is just amazing, and, it, and it's stuff that people who don't hunt would never see. Um, you know, there's so much to be explored out west. Um, you know, in in with our platform, our platform is kind of a it's a hard thing to convey correctly over the phone. Um, we are offering a free trial right now, a free seven day trial. So I would encourage anybody that that wants to get into Western hunting to really give our trial um, a look and play with that filtering 2.0 system. It breaks things down so much easier. Um, just to kind of give you a clear cut picture, here's what's available to you, you know, with your given parameters right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say, I mean, it, you know, it's not a whole lot unlike, you know, hunting at, back home. Um, you just, obviously you're in different terrain types and you're hiking more and that kind of thing. It's just the logistics of getting that hunt put together and doing it. Once you do it, it's easy. You know, yeah. I think it's a lot easier from the first hunt out. Um, it's just a matter of doing it. Um, and then the other thing too, that we'd like to caution people against with Western hunting is don't, don't get caught up into the, the points game so much that you, you remove other hunting opportunities from you in the meantime. And kind of what we mean by that is, you know, let's say you decided you want a big bull in Utah and you're going to put in for 20 years. And, and if you get so laser focused on that, that you don't hunt elk anywhere else, well, now you're going into a, you know, a huge, huge bull hunt and you have no elk hunting experience. Right. Um, you know, obviously right. you can offset that with people with you or going with a guide or something like that. But, you know, we really, really value um, the importance of just, of just hunting in general and just kind of getting that figured out, you know, and, and that can be one thing that will ultimately lead you just to bigger animals uh, in general on, on general hunts. Absolutely. You know, or over the counter hunts, you know, that skill can definitely get you. And that's, that's one thing I really believe in is that just familiarity with an area, um, you know, can ultimately lead you to really good success. It can be an area that people just don't do good in, but if you figure out how to hunt it, you know, that could be the deal breaker for you. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, main thing would be go for it. Yeah. <laughs> like I right. said earlier, those, those spring bear hunts, I mean, you pick up over the counter tags in Idaho or Montana or Wyoming, um, you can hunt pretty much statewide. It's a fun time of the year to be out and there's giant bears out there. Um, you know, and, and with those spring bear hunts, they give you everything that a Western deer or elk hunt is going to give you. It's just a different time of the year. You know, you're still hunting the same terrain, same country. And it's, it's a good opportunity to, to scout out an area too. Yeah. You know, if you plan on going out there for deer or elk the following year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a matter of, you know, picking your hunt and, and doing it. And obviously there's a whole bunch of other stuff that, uh, a guy, or a gal needs to think about when going on their first Western hunt, but we do not have time for that today. Uh, <laughs> like, right. like gear and weather and altitude sickness, like all these things that I thought I uh, had yeah. covered the first couple hunts. And then the next thing you know, you know, you're, you're, you're at 11, you know, 11,000 feet and you feel like shit or you may, you know, your rain gear mm-hmm. isn't as waterproof as you thought it was and <laughs> all that stuff. Oh so. yeah. It happens, you know, and, and especially like weather, like you said, weather in the West can change on a dime oh, yeah. I mean, this year. Um, or this, I should say this last year, uh, we backpacked into Wyoming. Um, and I shot a bull on our first day, uh, we archery hunted in September and it was probably, you know, 60 degrees or whatever up there, kind of a typical early September day. And the next day we had four inches of snow. Yeah. You know, things can change drastically fast in the West. Um, You know, being prepared for that means the difference of being, you know, slapped in the face and miserable and, you know, just dealing with conditions and doing your hunt. You know, there's definitely some big changes there. And like you said, I mean, we could could talk, you know, an infinite amount of time as far as Western hunt planning goes. There's there's a ton of opportunity out there. Yes, sir. Um, But I would encourage anybody that, that has any type of inclination to do a Western hunt, like just do it. 
it, it's you know, you'll be so much happier after you did it and it, it's it's so much easier than most people think yeah absolutely well mr dave barnett man i really appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh lighten the load for us uh today and uh talk about all these things that uh i guess uh need to be thought about if you do want to go into this uh into the the western theater uh, so to speak uh so thanks for your time man really appreciate it yeah definitely man it was a great conversation i appreciate you having me on Huge shout out to Dave. Really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and chat. Huge shout out to uh, all of you for taking time out of your day to listen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, huge shout out to Vortex, Ozonix. Uh, let's see, Vortex, Ozonix, Wasp, and uh, Lone Wolf, right? Uh, please go out and support the companies that support this podcast, man. I absolutely love those products. Feel confident with them. And that's it, man. Uh, I, I want to end on this and I, I know a majority of you don't listen all the way through. <clears throat> Not only does it mean a lot to me that you guys take time out of your day to listen to this, but I, I want to ask a favor of you. I want you to give your attention to someone else who may need it. And I don't know what that means really. Um, there's a lot of people in this world who could just use a high or a handshake or an arm around the shoulder or a pat on the back or, um, man, just maybe even a phone call. I don't know who that person is really. I try to be nice to everybody, but there's a lot of people who are stressed out in this world right now. And just a random person being a friend could help them out. It could change their day. It could it could be that line in the sand or a pivot where all of a sudden they're just like, man, that guy made me happy. Now I'm going to go make someone else happy. And it starts this chain reaction in this world. And I think that's what we need right now. It's just a shit ton more positivity. And, uh, that's my goal every single day. And I, I try to express that, uh, to everybody that I meet. I try to express that to my family, to my children, to my wife, to the lady who I buy my coffee from in the morning you know that the everybody so uh send good vibes out into the universe and i guarantee man you're gonna get them back so uh enjoy your weekend get outside experience nature and we'll talk to you next week